I, I think that privacy and uh, personalization can coexist. I think users do, do appreciate getting shown relevant ads. Welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. Each episode features an interview with today's leaders in advertising technology. If you're working in ad tech and always wanted to sit down and pick the brains of today's experts, then this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we meet a new ad tech hero. Hello and welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about privacy and I'm delighted to be joined by Shad Alta. Shad is the Head of Mobile and Programmatic User Acquisition at eToro and is based out of Tel Aviv. He has over 10 years experience in the digital industry working at companies such as Dorica, Supersonic and IronSource. Hello Shad, how's it going? Uh, great, Del, thank you for having me. It's great to have you today as a guest. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today on privacy. It's obviously super hot topic right now and it has been I think for some time so I think before we get into um, the conversation of privacy it'd be great to kick start with understanding a little bit more about your career so yeah tell me more about it. Uh, sure so I can start uh, from the top I guess as you said I'm uh, currently the head of programmatic at eToro so I'm in charge of basically uh, overseeing our programmatic media buying teams across uh, multiple DSPs and actually, before that, I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa, and moved to Israel about 12 years ago. So right in like, the boom of the ad tech space that just started uh, really growing at that time, there was a lot of uh, ad networks popping up, trying to buy and sell traffic and, you know, rebroker a lot of campaigns. So I was involved in many different startups around uh, media buying and uh, the teams uh, exploring those uh, strategies. But more interesting, I found myself actually at a company called Supersonic Ads, who were kind of the first uh, SDK in-app-based um, incentivized traffic mediator. So all those kind of, uh, you know, uh, reach a, sp a specific uh, level and you get a reward or watch this video and you get a reward. So I was actually involved with them uh, trying to build their business and uh, Eventually, they were actually bought out by Iron Source, who are actually a kind of a behemoth in the in the industry today. So yeah, as you said, been uh, been around uh, you know in the in this industry from from the beginning until uh, how things are looking today. And have you seen that change and that shift over those years of of priority for ad tech? You know, you, you mentioned kind of the app space, user acquisition space has has a lot changed in the years that you've been in the industry, uh, and like you said, in that kind of hub that is Tel Aviv? Oh yeah, of course. I think today the the user is in, in the center centerfold now. Before from the beginning it was kind of like the Wild West. So we had I'm sure you can remember the user browsing experience was was a nightmare. You had like um, ads popping up over videos or pop unders and we're just kind of getting spam from all over the place. And even advertisers were unsure how effective online advertising was. So things have definitely changed in that way that the user is, is in the center. It's, you know, what is good for the user? How can we improve his uh, online browsing experience? How can we show more relevant uh, ads to the user? And obviously to, you know, equal much better, uh, you know, lower CPAs for, for a lot of the, the, uh, the advertisers and, and more revenue for, for the publishers. And and then would you say your role has uh, been different across 
the different companies worked for over the years? Is have you always sat in that kind of programmatic remit or or commercial remit? Or yeah, how has that how has that differed over the years? So I've had the actual great uh, privilege to work within the ad net network, so being kind of middleman between the advertisers and, and the websites and apps. Also, uh, from the get-go, I think we, I was using uh, a lot of the early platforms such as uh, Right Media from Yahoo and AppNexus when they first started. So, we, you know, I've been kind of exposed to how that those platforms have evolved during this time. But definitely the shift to the client side, where I am now at eToro, it's a kind of a, a major uh, shift in, in focus where... You know, you are the client. You have amazing data that you can work with. And just, you know, about understanding, utilizing the data instead of just being the middleman trying to to kind of match uh, the best uh, medium for your ad. So, yeah, definitely being exposed to all that. And for those of you, for those of the, the audience that don't know who eToro are, can you please explain what they do? Uh, sure. So eToro is uh, the world's leading social investment platform. So you can think about uh, Twitter, Facebook for investing. Our main goal is to open up the capital markets to to everyone. So from ranging from uh, traders who actually want to come and use our platform to to trade and to people who don't know how to trade at all, but want to be exposed. Uh, So we have a lot of tools around helping the the amateur uh, investor having his first step into the the markets um, by offering products such as CopyTrader, where you can actually copy traders with have, which do have a lot of experience and you can actually see what their portfolio is and what they do can affect your portfolio and we actually we have our main kind of bread and butter with it, which is our social community so we have around 20 million registered users around the world that you can just speak with and and uh, get their uh, kind of sentiment around the markets at this time so you feel kind of very comfortable and very supported when you know having this first step into the world of investing and would you say that's your USP within the market? Because from from my understanding, and you know, I don't know a lot about this this industry, but from the outside, there are tons of competitors, right? So, would you say the social element to eToro is what separates you, or are there other elements that makes you different to the others in the market? Uh, yeah. So, actually, just recently, we had a lot of um, competitors sprouting up. For example, Robinhood in the US, Revolut in the UK. Uh, and, but we've been here for about 14 years already. So we have, um, you know, we have a first, our first uh, mover advantage. But as you said, definitely our, our main um, USP is our social element. So, you know, besides for the ease of use and uh, the many different instruments from stocks to, to crypto, uh, which we offer our uh, users, the user can actually come in and see in a very easy way and speak to traders and speak to other people in your country and other countries and get their opinion on what's going on. So it's, uh, that's how uh, we see our main, uh, our main USP. And would you say in the last couple of years, it's really grown in terms of the interest from amateur investors? Um, and again, I kind of think of myself, you know, the early lockdown days where uh, you know, you weren't going out, you weren't going eating out or drinking out, you know, you were at home more often, you would literally just see an ad and, you know, download it, download an app and start investing 
albeit very small amounts because yeah. you've got no clue what you're doing. But did you see that that interest from amateur investors grow in the last couple of years? And has it, has it continued to grow even as we come out of lockdown and people are going back to work and, uh, and, and spending time outdoors? So, so yes, generally speaking, there has been this, this, this rising tide of uh, the retail investor and feeling more empowered to have control of your money. So instead of giving your money over to these big banks or big uh, brokers, investing brokers, that you're not sure exactly what they're doing with your money, we're kind of uh, seeing this whole movement of people wanting to have control of how they invest, you know, more transparency in the fees that they pay and just ultimately wanting to take part in, in the market. So, you know, we're having people that are actually everyday uh, users of, uh, you know, fashion items or uh, utensils or whatever. And you can actually, you know, be a part of the growth of the actual product that you use. So um, this was definitely amplified a hundredfold uh, during uh, COVID, as, as you mentioned, we had a lot of um, kind of saw our our biggest surge uh, in numbers during that time for many reasons. Uh, mainly, as you said, there was a lot of people at home searching for uh, additional income. Uh, the stimulus checks that uh, people re- people received, um, so they had a lot of more disposable income. They were spending less during lockdown. So we saw an, uh, a huge surge in numbers and it was, you know, one of our best times, but also one of our most tricky times because it was, of course, COVID and it was a very sensitive time around uh, uh, not just people's livelihood, but people's lives. Um, but we have seen a massive growth kind of, not I wouldn't say peaking, but saw starting to kind of uh, to peak around last year. And, you know, it's very correlated with the markets. Uh, the markets had a really great run last year and obviously this year is kind of uh, having a bit of a retracement which is always healthy but uh, we're very kind of uh, in tune with the markets amazing um so yes like i mentioned that today's topic that we're talking about today is is privacy and and like i said it's it's a super hot topic at the moment there's lots of things happening within the market and all the different players within the market are all kind of having their point of view on it um, but what's your opinion on what's happening in the industry um, with, with privacy at, the, at this minute? Uh, so, yeah, you definitely uh, said that correctly. It's a very hot topic, especially in the last uh, couple of years. There have been some massive changes in the whole uh, industry in, in both uh, from, from all perspectives. But I think if we go back a few years to understand, you know, what caused all these changes and why, why they were happening, I think... As, as I said earlier, the beginning was kind of, you know, a crazy time. There wasn't a lot of focus on, on the user and on data and on personalization at all. It was just kind of show my ads to everyone and hope for the best. And I think um, it was a very terrible experience uh, for the user. But later on, a lot of mediums started sharing data, user data and user behavior with um, advertisers. So the advertiser was put, started to get put into a situation where, okay, I have all this interesting information, some uh, sensitive data, and I can actually use this to, uh, you know, restructure my strategy around who, I want, who do I want to see my ad and who do I don't want to see my ad. So it started to get a bit better in that sense, but 
what happened was there was a lot of data breaches, uh, stolen identity, fraud, etc. And the user started to understand, okay, wait a minute, what actually am I sharing with, with the platforms? You know, what do people know about me and how at risk am I? And I think at, at that point, the, you know, the, 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 the bodies at, at whole, like the IAB, came in and started saying, okay, wait a minute, we have to have some structure here. We have to put in some mechanisms to, to let the user know what they're actually sharing uh, with the websites, with the apps. And that's when uh, we saw GDPR come in and the cookie, the cookie consent banner, which I guess was a major, a major change for the better. But still, the user didn't really understand what they were consenting to. You know, they kind of just want to get that banner away so they can continue on their on their path. So it was kind of a step in the right direction, but not enough. And I think kind of the major tipping point was last year, I think, when when Apple did their uh, update on their iOS 14.5 and actually said, you know, we're putting a stop to sending personalized, identifiable information to the advertisers. And that's it. You know, that that's no questions, no questions asked. If the user wants to send his information they can, but you know, from uh, the default in default, we are not sending this, these IDs, and this caused a, a major uh, pain for for a lot of uh, companies. But I think this is where where it's going. I think Google has been speaking about a cookieless environment, so I think that's where uh, the industry is going. But again, it's a lot of uh, pain points that. Uh, that will will arise from this. I just want to touch on a point you just made now, and I totally agree. You know, users seeing the pop up banner, just saying accept cookies, and you know, you just want to quickly consume the content that's after after that kind of block, right? So, is that something that you think that will change or can change, or is it? You know, how would you develop that element of of that pop up coming up and just clicking accept to to read the content that's behind it? So I think there has been a lot of changes uh, in the way that the the banner is shown. There's a lot of ways that it can be shown with a lot of different information. A lot of advertisers are or publishers are actually um, showing all the data that you're exposed to. So from not just a marketing perspective, but tracking and the the passwords, etc. So the more transparent you can be and the more upfront you can be at the beginning with the user is is much better. And I think... Uh, I think the what I what I re- researched before this uh, podcast was around, I think it was about fifty five percent of users actually opt in. So users are actually there are still a big handful that are just uh, opting out. Uh, we're not sure why. We can assume that they actually don't want to be don't want to give over the information. Um, but that you know that forty five percent is something that is be we, we we as marketeers need to deal with, and how we uh, approach. Uh, the data that's been shared definitely and i i think the, the word here is control isn't it where the users are getting that control back um on their side rather than um kind of 
getting that having that taken away from them and there was a, a recent article that i read on on the washington post i think it was yesterday or the day before uh, and it mentioned that now google is also uh, and uh, letting users block ads from certain things related to dating pregnancy parenting etc um, i think facebook's been doing it for some time but now google's starting starting to to enable that and give that control back to the users um so i think yeah that's um definitely should be a a, a good point for the the consumer right Oh, definitely. Um, I, I think that privacy and uh, personalization can coexist. I think if when where the browsing environment is is safe and and relevant for the user, um, it'll just make them much more at ease with what they uh, what they want to and what they can uh, share. I think users do do appreciate getting shown relevant ads. Of course, we can't uh, we can't deny that, but it does come with with some sort of cost. But as, as I'm sure the months and years go by, the, the cost will become much less where we will be using non-identifiable uh, metrics that we can actually build, like a lot of attribution companies can build algorithms and probabilistic methods around uh, attribution instead of actually using real hard um, data of the, of the user. So would you say brands are struggling now because they don't have these data points and they're kind of rushing around trying to find a, a, another solution? Um, you know, in your opinion, then what, what other what other solutions are there out there readily available now? Um, and definitely for the future, do you think certain new new things will come about? Uh, yeah. So definitely, there's been there's been a loss uh, a loss in conversion data. So if you think about it, all the users that opt out. You know, how do we actually attribute these users to the, the, the medium that, that brought them? So there's a lot of uh, transparency that was just gone, which meant that brands and, and advertisers had to rely on MMPs for their attribution. So, for example, um, around in-app traffic. So a lot of our um, attribution is based on, on Apps Flyer and how they kind of use their probabilistic modeling, as they call it. To say, okay, this, we think probably this user converted. So we'll kind of attribute the source that, that brought this user. But again, it's not 100%. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of smaller agencies that couldn't actually uh, survive uh, these kind of loss and conversion data is, you know, closed, closed shop. So there's a big reliance on, on first party data now and reliance on third parties to help with attribution. But I think that more people or more advertisers and brands are, are moving towards contextual advertising. So we won't know uh, what the user or has done in the past, but based on the content of the article or the web page that they are browsing, we can understand what they like and what they don't like. So kind of a different way to, to, to target users without uh, really knowing that. So that's kind of been a big uh, increase in contextual advertising we've we found that that's worked and how, how has contextual worked for eToro then is it you know serving ads in specific placements what what does contextual mean to to eToro is it the actual editorial content or in-app environment or even things like time of the day you know positioning an ad at a right time could also be seen as contextual right so yeah it'd be good to understand yeah. that so uh definitely uh within the 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 content of the of the web page, for example. So instead of uh, relying on you know data from our DSPs to say, okay, show me 
users with financial interests, for example. And this can also be not 100% accurate because of the the consent, uh, you know, not being given. So we can, we would say, okay, so show my ad within news articles speaking about stocks, uh, crypto, uh, the stock market, specific stocks, etc. So we have a kind of understanding if the users are reading these articles, they must have an interest. So that's um, a lot of it is also inter- intertwining with with native advertising, with the likes of uh, Taboola, for example, that we have um, a lot of places contextually where we can show specific ads based on the the view of the article, the, the theme of the article, etc. So it's been a, a way for us to connect to users on a more like a non-direct way. Definitely. And, and, and you touched on transparency and measurement. Would you therefore say privacy and, uh, and an increase of privacy impacts not only lower funnel campaigns but also upper funnel would you say it's across the board or would you say it's kind of more so affecting um you know the hard like sales or cpa type type of campaigns that you're running um so i think it's a it's across the board you know we have we have many we use a kind of a multi-funnel approach to to getting our users you know from at, from the beginning, just understand, okay, this user has clicked our ad, has come to our website or blog post, etc. They have an interest. What can we, how can we push them further along the funnel to eventually convert? So especially in our industry, uh, in the financial and investment industry, we have a very uh, sensitive, a lot of sensitive, uh, you know, situations where we don't want to force or push the user to, to join and to convert. So we'd rather push them along a lot of different funnels to kind of educate them about the markets, about investing, about eToro, about uh, all our different products. So if we are if we are losing uh, the data, you know, of the user, it's difficult for us to kind of push them along the funnels the funnels that we know work for us. At the beginning, we kind of you know, if I think about how we do things, we definitely we you know we GDPR compliant, etc. And you know, once the user has seen our ad and they actually. Uh, um, consented so we you know we we really give them a full a great experience and a great um, journey the conversion journey and the ones that uh, you know that don't that we find it hard to kind of get them back or uh, using some other kind type of uh, retargeting mechanisms that we just can't do so we find ourselves kind of not just wasting money maybe but showing the ads a few times to users that actually didn't want to see it again so it's 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 difficult and at eToro then, so you've obviously had a few strategies. You probably had to change strategies with less and less cookies being made available to to use as as a data pool. How have you then utilized your first party data or other ways um, in your in your strategy? How how have you done that? So the way we work with most of our our DSPs is that we uh, we integrate a lot of our uh, CRM data data inside. So Within the CRM data, we can say these users are the ones that uh, are uh, depositing the most money or the most active or the ones that are not yet deposited. And we kind of segment our users in many, many different ways, um, in different clusters. And we use kind of lookalike modeling. So lookalike modeling across Facebook is a very powerful tool with that. Um, The DSPs are a very powerful tool. So, you know, we 
we don't want to be in a situation, we never kind of started a, a kind of promotion or whatever very broadly. You know, we, we don't want to show our ads to everyone. We, we want to show our ads to users that we know will have a high possibility of joining Etora and converting. Um, especially in the niche kind of that we and this niche of investing in financial uh, verticals. So it's, it's a lot of money that can be wasted. Um, so we need our first party data. We need the third party data. We need to combine everything to understand, okay, these are the type of users that we want. Um, you know, we, we've, we've a kind of a waste, I won't say wasted, but there's a lot of money that gets spent on, on A-B testing and trying to find uh, the right users until we get to a situation where, okay, let's build, use our first party data, let's build these segments and let's kind of copy them, uh, you know, going out and uh, getting new users. And how important has privacy been at a company level for Utoro? Uh, and the reason I ask is, does it just sit within the marketing team? Does it just sit within the programmatic team or the data team? Um, you know, are there more departments within Utoro that are talking about it, making sure it's front of mind? And um, and yeah, the the reason I ask is because I can imagine certain industries and certain companies probably don't have it as high up on their on their agenda um so for for better or for worse because we are a financial company so there's a lot of layers of of privacy and protection that we have to kind of uh, abide by so starting from the actual regulation of the specific country so we want to market our products in the uk so we need a license and obviously we have licenses across all the major regions but then once you have your license, you know, there's not a lot, you know, what we can and cannot uh, market to the user. So in the UK, there's a lot of, uh, for example, a lot of kind of uh, pushing back on, on crypto for the retail user. So we're working very closely with the regulators there. But besides that, we have uh, another layer within, for example, Facebook and the DSPs. So a lot of them don't allow specific financial products. So going down the line, we have a lot of protection that we need to get uh, get past, but we have a, um, a massive compliance team. So before any ad actually goes out, it has to be uh, you know looked at, got given permission to use these words. So we are very, very uh, scrutinized, not just by our own compliance team, but the regulators outside about how we say what we do with the with our products um, and, and once the user actually signs up and has to, you know, by default, he has to give us a lot of information, you know, ranging from their uh, income to their uh, social security numbers, etc. So there's a lot of trust that we need to give over to the users that say, listen, listen we, you can't trust us. You know, we don't do anything with your data. That's not, uh, you know, that won't kind of uh, get uh, breached or anything like that. So... We have a lot of uh, layers around uh, how we work with privacy and the data. Yeah, I think that's important. You mentioned trust there. I think trust yeah. is super important um, when you are ultimately giving up your money you know, for an investment. Um, you need to have the trust of where it's going to, right? You wouldn't just give your money to, to anyone out there. So, yeah, I think definitely think trust is, uh, again, an, an important word around, on, uh, around privacy. Um, when it came to early 2020, you know, lockdown, COVID, you mentioned you did see an increase in, in demand um, from users and new users. How did you handle 
that whole kind of uh, onboarding new pub, uh, new, um, new 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 clients, new customer base, and then also the volatility in markets because there were you know lots of ups and downs and yeah, how how, how did eToro handle that whole kind of situation? So as I said at the beginning, the 2020 COVID, um, we saw kind of you know some of our biggest uh, numbers in terms of onboarding uh, users. A lot of it had to do with the volatility. So you had, um, for example, oil going to below zero for the first time ever. So we had a lot of traders that were wanting to get into the market and get in quickly to kind of ride this volatility up and down. And so we kind of used our uh, you know you know ease of access and quick to market um, uh, product to to track those uh, those kind of traders. But you know. It was kind of a, it was very difficult for us because, as I said, it was a very sensitive time. So, on the one hand, people were losing jobs, losing uh, their source of incomes. And we didn't want to, on a marketing perspective, we didn't want to go out there and say, you know, the markets are wild, come make money with us. You know, we were very, very um, sensitive to what we said and how we said it. You know, the last thing we wanted to do was kind of, uh, you know, kind of press that button on, on users that were really affected by COVID. So we took the kind of, we took a perspective of come and learn, you know, come and learn what's going on, use our social elements, speak to people that have experience and what's going on in the market. So we had a, a ton of influx of users coming in and going to our uh, academy. We have an Etoro Academy that kind of you learn about, um, you know, what is a stock to kind of uh, how the S&P 500 works. So we had a lot of people coming to learn, which was great for us. Um, they not necessarily came to deposit money, but they came to just be a part of this, you know, once in a lifetime market uh, effect. I think that's super important. Uh, the brand, you know, at CETA, we work with brands, you know, hundreds of brands every day. And we quickly saw which brands, um, you know, there were some brands that just didn't react at all to COVID, the situation. Yeah. They were just business as usual, doing the same thing. There were some brands that just, you know, uh, a little, were in a little bit of a panic and just withdrew everything. Didn't want to run anything. They didn't, you know, really. I don't know whether it's, it's the wrong way to say it, but they didn't really care about, you know, the, their marketing budgets and how they needed to spend them. But then, the brands that I found were the most successful during that period were the ones that had a bit of empathy and that emotional connection, and they weren't so much, like you said, promoting products or trying to bring in additional customers which could have happened naturally organically um, but not within the creative message or not within the targeting there was never really a push so it was more connecting with the person and not just a user or a customer thinking exactly. of them as a exactly. person and highlighting whether it was their service you know we're by your side during these difficult times you know we're we're, we're doing this is what we're doing in that space and then I suppose the other one, like you said, is more the education. So people have probably a little bit more time on their hands. They're at home. A lot of us had young children at home and you need to keep them entertained. And there were some brands that, you know, where you could just download a coloring book online for free, print it off and, you know, it, it gave you something else. So, yeah, I think that emotional connect was super important around COVID. And some some brands literally smashed it and did really well. Whereas other yeah. other brands um, didn't do so well, so yeah, I think that's super important. When it comes back to to privacy, then what do you think the future holds, um, especially for for advertising? 
So I think we, we're definitely moving to an environment, a future of, um, you know, the user not giving up his data. Um, I think users are becoming much more aware about um, how marketers are using their data, um, how the, the big, you know, the big five, the Facebooks and the Googles are actually monetizing their data. So there's a lot of the new generation are coming in saying, wait a minute, if you want my data, so what's in it for me? So there will be a kind of, okay, so, uh, you know, I, I do want this personalization. I do want to be shown relevant ads, but I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to know that you're making money of the data that, that is ultimately, ultimately, ultimately mine. So let's kind of share, uh, share this, you know, somehow. And there's a lot of, there's a big um, theme around decentralized social media. So, you know, this has to do with a lot of the, the blockchain space. So there are companies trying to build uh, places where users can actually uh, monetize their own data. data. So um, there's a company called Brave. Um, they have a Brave browser, uh, which is a very interesting, completely like, different uh, perspective of how, how to advertise because they're saying, okay, I'm giving up my data. Um, the advertisers will, will benefit, but I also want to get something in return. So they're part of the whole revenue model also. Um, and I think that kind of ecosystem, sound, it sounds to me very interesting. And I think as a, as a user also, um, something where I think it could go. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. I think there are a few browsers out there. And again, completely, this, this is my own opinion, but I'm, I don't see any kind of cases where, yeah, I've made £100 in a, in a month or something like that. You know, it's more on the smaller scale. But um, I definitely do think there is that trade, there needs to be that trade off between, you know, giving your data as a user and then getting something back for it. So, you know, that might not just be monetary, it could be other things, you know, access to certain, um, you know, additional articles that you can read on a, on a, on a big publication or, you know, coupons or what, whatever it might be. So I think, yeah, that's here to stay. Um, but how users will benefit. I think that will be interesting to see how that develops and, and, and evolves. So we've got literally just one final question for you uh, today. If you had a superpower in technology, what would it be? Um, so, so I'm a huge uh, crypto uh, fanatic. Uh, I've been, like, I, I love the whole uh, blockchain space. So definitely, I, if I could uh, time travel and go back to when Bitcoin was $1 or even below $1, uh, I would do it, and I would buy as much as I can. But uh, on like a marketing, you know, to be more serious on a marketing side, um, just to kind of, uh, if, if, you know, if I knew what strategy and what messages worked from the get-go, it would be a huge, uh, a huge help instead of kind of wasting time and, and, and resources around A-B testing. Brilliant, brilliant answer, and definitely around crypto and buying Bitcoin and, and the other cryptocurrencies out there. I think if all of us just put some money in into it five five six years ago we would all be a lot a lot richer than we are now but exactly, exactly. that's hindsight for you right um brilliant well that's all we've got time for today um thanks shad for your time it's been great speaking to you my pleasure thank you again for having me thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of ad tech heroes if you enjoyed the show please leave us a five-star review to see all the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode head over to adtechheroespodcast.com this episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. 
By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com.